Well, let's turn to John chapter 6. We've been in the Gospel of John for quite some time, taking breaks here and there for different types of sermons. Last week we talked about the victory that we can have in Christ Jesus as we took a break. The Lord laid a certain message on my heart and gave opportunity to preach it. This morning we're back in John chapter 6 and we're going to be starting in verse 60 as we have worked our way through this chapter just going verse by verse and just trying to see what it is that uh, we can glean from these passages. And uh, the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the Lord. We know in the four Gospels, each Gospel presents Christ in a different fashion. Matthew presents Jesus as the King uh, to the throne of David. That's why you have the genealogies there uh, that go back to David and Abraham and those 14 generations that are mentioned in the first chapter because Jesus Christ is the right king to the throne of David, and he will rule and reign from that throne one day. And then Luke, we've got, well, in Mark, we've got uh, Jesus presented not as king, but as servant. There is no nativity story in the book of Mark because nobody cares where a servant comes from. All they want to know is how a servant serves. And isn't it wonderful how the God of all humanity humbled himself and became a servant for you and for I. And then in the book of Luke, we see Jesus Christ presented as man. Jesus was not only all God, but he is all man. And so we have the genealogies there in his nativity story that take us all the way back to Adam and Adam as a son of God. And then in John, the gospel we've been in, boy, I guess it's been about a year now, hadn't it, since we've been in the gospel of John, almost a year anyway. And uh, we see that John presents Jesus Christ as Lord, There is no nativity because in John chapter 1 verse 1 uh, through 14 we learn that Jesus Christ is God and always has been, is and always will be. He is the eternal God. We're in John chapter 6 starting in verse 60 down through the end of the chapter. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. John chapter 6 starting in verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray Him. And He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto him of My Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we thank You for this opportunity to sing Your praises and to fellowship together. Lord, I thank You for these who have ventured out this Sunday morning to uh, be with us, to sing Your praises and to lift up Your name and to listen to Your Word being preached and taught. Lord, I pray that You would bless them for their efforts. Lord, bless them for being here. Lord, I pray that You would speak through us this morning as it is not my opinion that is necessary, but it is Your Word that needs to speak through us and to us. Lord, I pray that You open hearts and minds to receive the preached word this morning. I pray that you would remove all distractions. Help us to be faithful to preach your word. Help us to be faithful to put you first in our lives. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that's said and done. May it bring you honor and glory, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading 
of the Word of God. Just a little bit of background. It's been a, a two weeks since we were in John chapter 6, and it's been even longer than that. As you can see, there's 71 verses in John 6. We started out the first part of the Gospel of John chapter 6 reading the story of the 5,000 that Jesus fed as they were seated there. Uh, verse 4, the Passover, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? They were over uh, uh, in the area across from Capernaum in the sea, uh, near, uh, towards the Sea of Galilee. And uh, you see that these 5,000 people had gathered together and were following Christ. And now it came to the place where they were hungry. And uh, the disciples said, let's send them back home, let them go eat. And Jesus asked Philip, uh, uh, and Philip said, uh, or he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. It's very important when studying Scripture that we understand that God and Jesus never ask a question to gain knowledge. God is all-knowing. Amen? Jesus is God. He's all-knowing. He already knows everything. Jesus asked the question and the Bible tells us to prove Philip. He asked him the question to test him to see if Philip's faith would be in what Christ was getting ready to do. And we've studied out this chapter. We're not going to rehash it. But after the next day, they crossed the sea. There was a great storm on the sea, and the disciples were afraid. Jesus was not in the boat with them. And that's where we have the account where they see Jesus walking on the water. And in the other gospel accounts, Peter calls out, gets out of the boat, and then they end up on the other side of the sea. The next day, the people that were following Jesus came looking for Him, and they found Him on the other side of the sea and they were amazed because that was the only group of people that made it across to the other port because of such a great storm. And they sought Christ, but Christ rebuked them because they were not seeking Christ for the right reasons. They were looking for Jesus not because of the miracles Jesus says later in the chapter, but because they ate of the bread. Now you remember in our study uh, of John 6 that we uh, looked at Jewish tradition and according to the Talmud and Jewish tradition, the Jews looking for their Messiah would be looking for someone who would bring them bread as Moses did in the wilderness when manna uh, was there every morning when they woke up. And here we have the discourse where Jesus reveals to them that He is the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the bread. And verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. That's why Matthew teaches us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceedeth from uh, uh, the mouth of Christ. So we understand now through all of this and all of that, and you'll be pleased, that took me about two minutes to review, amen? Uh, all of that to say that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and that's what he's teaching these followers here this day. Now we're in verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? Doth this offend you? 
Christ has presented those following Him, if you'll remember, with the work of God, as we saw in the first part of this chapter, and the work of God for man, uh, uh, desires for man, uh, is that all men would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the work that we have to do. If you believe that Christ is the Son of God, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've been saved, then your work is to try to present that testimony to other people so that they may come to Christ as their Savior. And then we saw in this chapter the will of God presented. So we had the work of God uh, three weeks ago and two weeks ago we looked at the will of God. And what was the will of God ultimately? That none should perish, that all of humanity would have an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. Now pause, does that mean that everybody will get saved in the end? No. No, that's not what's going to happen. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to die and to be cast into everlasting torment. His will is that all men would come to know Christ as Savior. Unfortunately, the will of God for all men will not always be because man has been given the will to accept or reject Jesus Christ. Friend, this message that we have spent several weeks going over in John chapter 6, the work of God and the will of God, this is not a popular message. We live in a day and age where people say, as long as you're devout in your faith, then you're okay. As long as you're a devout Muslim, then you'll get to heaven and your God will save you. As long as you're a devout whatever, you fill in the blank, Buddhist or uh, 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 and so on, then as long as you're devout, then you will get to enter into heaven. But you see, Jesus Christ said a different, made a different statement when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Friend, this is not a popular message. I wish that I could tell you that as we're encouraged to go out into our neighborhood and our workplace and our community to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world, that they will be there waiting with open arms and saying, yes, thank you for telling me the truth. But friend, that's not the case. More and more as people are becoming more and more immoral and as people are becoming less and less aware of their need of salvation, less and less aware of their own sinful state, we will see that we will be met with opposition. And our response to this opposition will be very telling to our character. You see, there's many different ways that people present the Word of God, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Look here in chapter 6 and verse 61. The latter part of the chapter, Jesus asked the question, Doth this offend you? Doth this Offend you. In a moment, we're going to look at this word offend from a biblical standpoint, but I want to help you with something first and foremost. You say, I had a pastor friend one time tell me, you know what, Brother Nate, I think that in the end, the majority of people will end up in heaven because if all of those people, if the majority of humanity ended up in hell, then God lost and God does not lose in the end. And I said, well, Matthew 7 14 teaches us something different. Matthew 7, 14 says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Friend, can I tell you something? Your and my salvation, whether or not we accept or reject Christ, does not make God any more or less God. He is God. And He wins in the end no matter who accepts Him. But we must understand that we will be met with some opposition because this is not a popular message. 
This is a message that brings about division. In understanding Scripture, it's imperative that we understand some key principles about the Word of God. Number one this morning, the words of God are divine. The words of God are divine. They're divine words. These words that are given to us are strictly spiritual and must be spiritually discerned. Keep your place here in John. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Let's look together, if you will, with me at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are... What's that next word? Spiritually discerned. The natural man. What's the natural man referring to? If you remember back from our study, if you were here, if not, the natural man is referring to that fleshly man, the carnal man, the person that does not know God. Because before salvation, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and our spirit has not been made alive. Our spirit is dead. And so how can a dead spirit understand spiritual things? The first step to understanding the Word of God is you must be born again. You must be born again. Uh, This is why lost people have a hard time reading and understanding Scripture. I I was, uh, as you know, on Sunday evenings, we've been going through our study and growth in the Word. And Last week we looked at, uh, uh, does God exist? And the week before that we answered the question, is truth knowable? Tonight we're going to look at why it's important that miracles are real. Because that's one thing that skeptics will tend to say is, well, miracles are supernatural and we don't believe in the supernatural and so that's not uh, possible and so it can't be real. If miracles are not possible, then Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians that we, our faith is in vain because that means the resurrection isn't possible. We're going to talk about that tonight. I'm excited. I've been enjoying that study. I hope you have as well. But in that study, I have found several atheists and I have two quotes here that I wanted to share with you. Sir Ian McKellen, who uh, uh, is a pretty well-known actor stated this, I've often thought the Bible should have a disclaimer in the front saying this is fiction. Terry McClellan is a a, a well-known actor and a a, a self-ascribed atheist. He does not believe in God, uh, especially the God of the Bible. And he was in a movie called The Da Vinci Code several years back. And in this interview, he was being asked because at the time there were a lot of people who were petitioning that the book have a disclaimer in the front saying this is fiction. Because if you're familiar with the story, or if you're not, the Da Vinci Code tries to go through and show that Jesus Christ had a child with Mary Magdalene, and that that family is still alive, and uh, uh, that he was some miraculous prophet, not the Son of God, and that his children are able to do wonderful things, and all of this kind of nonsense that we know is extra-scriptural, and they use different historical times and twist the context. And so his response to the question, should we put a disclaimer before the movie? or before the book that this is a fiction movie or a fiction book was that they should put a disclaimer in the front of the Bible saying that it's fiction. Why? Because he doesn't understand the Word of God. 
He reads the Word of God and it does not make any sense to him. Helen Gardner, another devout atheist, says, this is, There is no book which tells of a more infamous monster than the Old Testament with its Jehovah of murder and cruelty and revenge, unless it be the New Testament, which arms its God with hell and extends His outrageous throughout, his outrages throughout all eternity. These are what atheists say about the Bible and our God. You say, how could I read this Bible and understand exactly who God is and understand exactly who Jesus is, but yet someone who says that God's not real reads the same book and they just see a cruel, murdersome dictator sitting on a throne waiting to get his revenge because they're spiritually dead. They don't know Christ and they need Him. The simple fact of the matter is that Job teaches us in chapter 32 and verse 8, there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. That's Job chapter 32 and verse 8. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Do you know why lost people don't understand the Word of God? You know why you can read it as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and in the Word of God speak to you and prick your heart and touch you in such a wonderful way? If you know Christ, you've been made alive. You've been born again. But someone that does not know Christ, to them these words are not divine. They're just words written by men some 2,000 years ago. Absent from the spirit of man having life, man cannot understand the spiritual words of God. Words of God are divine words. Now we're going to get to this passage that we looked at here in John chapter 6 and verse 61 when Christ says, Doth this offend you? Not only the words of God uh, divine, the words of God also divide. They're dividing words. What does Christ mean when He asks this question, Doth this offend thee? What could possibly be offensive about the Word of God? Well, the word offend, if you look it up in our modern dictionary, in our vernacular today, means to irritate, annoy, anger, cause resentful displeasure in. Also means to violate or transgress or to hurt or cause pain. But is this what Christ was referring to? Was He asking, does the words that I speak to you, which to me are uplifting words and encouraging words, to know that there is a way to have eternal, everlasting life. That's what Christ presented to them in John chapter 3 when He talked to Nicodemus. That's what Christ presented to these followers of His, His own disciples. And remember, these aren't just the twelve, but at this point Christ had over 70 disciples, plus there were this congregation of 5,000 that were following Him, wanting to be fed. And He presented them not the option to have physical sustainment, but how to have everlasting spiritual sustenance. To me, that's a very uplifting passage of Scripture. To me, those words aren't offensive. To me, those words are encouraging because we can know that we have eternal life. But you see, the world will look at these words as offensive. What was Christ referring to? Pastor Jim Alter often states, being offensive for offensiveness' sake is sin. 
Now, there's a lot of people who say, see here, Christ asked them if this offended them because Christ was an offensive person, so we should go out, and if it offends them, I don't care. The Bible's going to offend them. And then what do they do? It's not the Bible that offends the person they're talking to. It's our own character. It's our own demeanor. It's our own words because we become argumentative and we become, uh, uh, and we become this uh, uh, type of uh, almost word warrior where we try to cut people down with our words. Friend, you don't have to do that. Did you know you can present the gospel in a loving way? Did you know that you can share the words of Christ in a way that's pleasing to man, but the words of God let them divide? We don't have to do that. The Word of God will do that. I don't have to try to tell you you're a terrible person, you're an awful person, you do this, 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 and this. No, all i got to do is say that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible does that. And I can say that in a loving way and say, friend, did you know that the Bible teaches us that I'm not perfect and that you're not perfect? None of us are righteous. The Bible teaches that none seek after good. There's none that seek after good. But friend, there's hope. Do you see the difference there in the way that we talk to people? The words of God are dividing words. Let's allow them to offend. We don't have to be the offensive characters. The Bible can offend because, again, it's an offensive story. In scriptures, to offend, though, doesn't mean to anger or to irritate. Although that's what we think will happen whenever someone is offended by the Word of God or by our message or by whatever we say, that it will offend, it will irritate, it will anger that person. Friend, that's not true. Turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Keep your place here in John. Genesis 20, we see, if I'm not mistaken, through my research, the first time we see this word in any type of form show up in your Bible. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not be done. We see here Abimelech talking to Abraham. Abraham who told Abimelech that Sarah was not his wife but was yet his sister and Abimelech who was going to take Sarah uh, and know her and lie with her and the Lord would not allow him and then revealed it to Abimelech that that was Abraham's wife. And because of this great lie Abraham had offended Abimelech. Now, did he irritate or anger him? Possibly. Possibly. But in studying the word that is used in your Bible, we see that this is the same offense that is referenced in John. It's the same offense that's also referenced in 1 Samuel. We've seen Genesis chapter 20. Let's move quickly to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We see this same use of the word in 1 Samuel 25. Look at verse 31. that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causelessly, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt with me uh, with well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. 1 Samuel 25, 31. We see the same word offense, but we notice another word that your Bible uses in the very beginning, the word grief. Grief and offense. Friend, can I share something with you? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. 
the Bible is the best commentary in the, on the Bible. You can look at the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't read after other men, but we must understand that the Bible speaks for itself. It defines these words for us right here in Scripture. Notice, this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense. We see very quickly that offense is a grief. According to Samuel, offense is a grief. When studying God's Word, the words of Christ back in John chapter 6, we see the same type of phrasing being used to bring grief. And in the Genesis account of the word offend, we see that it was to reveal great sin. This grief that is brought about by the revelation of great sin. That is what an offense is that Christ is talking about. These people were grieved because Christ was not the Messiah they were hoping to receive. Rather, He was the Messiah that they needed. He was not the Messiah that they hoped to get. What did the Jews want at this point in history? They wanted someone to release them from Roman oppression. They wanted someone, as Moses did in the time of the Egyptians, to come into Egypt and to look at Pharaoh and point his bony finger and said, Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God Jehovah, let my people go. That's what the Jews wanted. But you see, that's not what Christ came to do. Christ did not come to release them from the oppression of the Romans. Rather, He came to be their Savior Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word will point out sin that is within the heart of man, even for His own disciples. Notice that within those that were following Christ and the disciples, those followers of Christ, were murmuring to themselves and saying that this is an hard saying, who can hear it? And it's to them that Christ repeats this question, doth this offend you? Look at verse 62 now, John chapter 6 verse 62. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where He was before? Do you know what He's asking? He's He's preparing them. Now, little did they know at that time, but just a few short days later, Christ would be murdered brutally and buried, laid in a borrowed tomb, rise again, and then would be around for several days in His resurrected state and would be seen of over 500 witnesses and the disciples would be standing and watching as Jesus Christ would ascend back unto the Father. But at this time, they had no idea that that's what He was referring to. It was simply a question to them, What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. Remember, he's talking about the bread of life. Remember, he's talking about himself being the spiritual manna from heaven. The Jews went out every morning and found manna in the wilderness on the ground that had been given to them not by Moses, but by God. Jesus Christ is that spiritual manna that is needed for the soul of every hungry spiritual individual that needs a Savior. And can I share something with you? That's all of us. Amen. God's Word will point out the sin that is within the heart of man, even within us as followers of Christ, that will cause grief until it's accepted and dealt with. Third and finally, not only are God's words divine, not only do God's words divide, but the words of God give life. The words of God give life. Verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. 
It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. What is Jesus saying? One of the greatest truths in all of Scripture is the life-giving power of the Word of God. The life-giving power of God's Word. He says that the Spirit quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. You know one of my favorite verses in the Bible, most of you probably could quote it by now, bodily exercise profiteth little. Amen? Anybody there with me? Amen. Amen. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, I do have to see to the fact that it doesn't say that it doesn't profit at all. just says that it profits little. So, I'm going to spend a lot more time reading my Bible and studying than I am hitting the gym. Amen. Because on the way home from the gym, I have a tendency to go through the Mickey D's and to get me three double cheeseburgers because I just worked out. I deserve it. Amen. That's good. I got a carbo load before, so you get some double cheeseburgers on the way. Just one on the way to the gym, brother. And then on the way home, you get three as a treat. You get to reward yourself. Amen. And you can go tell your wife that the preacher said that's okay. Amen. All right. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But what is Christ saying? Remember the entire time these people that were following Him, they were looking for Him not because of the miracles that He was doing. Jesus did some great miracles. He performed some wonderful acts. He caused the blind to see. He raised the dead, as we'll see later on in the Gospel of John. He he caused those that were sick to be made whole and to be restored. He did some wonderful things, but what brought about the most followers? Feeding them. Giving them something they wanted physically. You see, this is what the prosperity preachers today try to present. They try to present that, well, Jesus Christ came to give you a lot of things in this life. And friend, that's just not true. Jesus came so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. And the only way to have abundance in life is to have that joy and that peace that Christ brings at the moment of salvation. One of the greatest truths in Scripture, again, is this life-giving, life-changing power that comes with the Word of God. Verse 63, the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, these words that Jesus spoke, they are spirit and they're life. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Ephesians 1 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In whom ye also trusted when? After ye heard the word. What does Romans teach us? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does Romans also teach us? Teaches us that how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear the words of God unless one, the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading in Isaiah 53 where it talks about the lamb being led to the slaughter. Uh, uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. And Philip comes and says, Doth thou understand what thou readest? And he says, How can I except some man show me? How can I except some man show me? These are life-giving words that we need to be taking out into the world, into our everyday interactions, because people need Christ. In this dark day with lots of suffering, there's nothing that will bring joy like Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 
For this cause also think we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word of God is powerful. The word of God brings life. Gypsy Smith, an old preacher, he told of a man who said that he had received no inspiration from the Bible. And you'll hear that a lot of times, especially if you talk to a lost person. Well, I've read that book, I get no inspiration from the Bible. I've gone through it several times, Gypsy Smith's answer, which I thought was very uh, uh, accurate. Gypsy Smith said, then you will uh, let the Bible go through you once. Then you'll tell a different story. Oftentimes, that's what we do. We go through the Bible and we look and we're going through it. We're going through it. Nothing pops out. And so we're like, this didn't help us. But allow the Word to go through you. Allow the Word to be revealed to you. Allow it to speak to you. The Spirit quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, they are Spirit and they are truth. You allow the Word of God to work in your life. You'll tell a different story. What's the result of the discourse that Christ taught those that were following Him? Look at John chapter 6, verse 66. Now, I'm not big into numerology, but in the Bible, numbers do mean things. Amen? And everybody knows what is the number 6 in the Bible. It's the number of man. In the book of Revelation, we learn that there is the mark of the beast, the Antichrist. He has a number, and his number is 666. We're in John chapter 6, verse 66. Let's look at it together. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Here we have in John chapter 6 and verse 66 that man, these disciples that were following Him, turned and rejected the message of Christ. These that were following after Him turned because this was an offensive word. It caused them grief. They didn't understand. Why? Why won't you just rise up, Jesus, and take over Caesar and Pilate and uh, uh, allow us to be set free so that we can worship the way that the God of our fathers wants us to worship? Why won't you just be king like we wished Moses had taken us out of Egypt? We wish you would do the same. That's what we want. And he said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to complete it. I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. Jesus said, this time around I came to be your Savior. Not to free you from this physical life. Because notice the, 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 the war that's going on here in the Word of God in John 6. There's a war that's battling there. And it's the war for these people as they are so focused on the physical, the here and the now. And Jesus said, this flesh, it profits nothing. The Spirit is what quickens. I didn't come to feed you bread that would pass. I came to give you life so that you may have it more abundantly. I am the bread of life. But because this wasn't what they wanted to hear, there were many that went back and walked no more with Him. I can't help but notice that this passage, this 666, is the mark of the Antichrist. 
1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. That was all the way back in 90 A.D. The spirit of Antichrist was around. I promise you it's even more prevalent now than it was 2,000 years ago. It was there and it caused men who were focused on the here and now to miss out on the sweet by and by. One old professor of mine, Dr. Bill Day, he said, I am not concerned with the nasty here and now. I'm looking forward to the sweet by and by. I'm not concerned with the perishable things that will be consumed by fire. I'm looking forward to the day when I can enjoy eternal things in heavenly places. The question this morning, friend, is what word will we obey? Will we be as those that abandoned Christ because His message revealed their own shortcomings, their short-sightedness, their short focus? Or will it be that we will be like the few? Look down in verses 67 through 69. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter gave the right answer. Peter gave the answer that each and every one of us have to decide for ourselves. These followers of Christ that didn't like the message, what did they do? They turned back, they went back, and they followed Him no more. But you see, they were left after those 70 plus disciples, some 5,000 people that He fed that were coming to Him because they needed miracles, they wanted miracles. What did they do? They all left. And who was left? The twelve. The few. Why? Because they recognize that Jesus Christ... Notice Peter's words. Notice what he says. I I, I love the way he says this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus is asking the question this morning, friend, will you follow me? I have the words of life. Yes, it's an offensive book. They're they're divine words. They're from my Father which is in heaven. And the Word of God, yes, it divides. Yes, it can offend at times. But if you will have the right response to that grief that comes through the revelation of our own shortcomings and follow me, you'll have joy and a peace that passes all understanding. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? This earth has nothing left for us. You are the Son of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed.